0: listening to First Church Charlotte. We are going to talk for a little while from this subject today. I'm going to use it as a teaching theme, and the subject is this, walk like a winner. Walk like a winner, and we will I'm going to tell you a story from the Old Testament as a way of a kind of a teaching example. And we'll see if we can learn something and grow together. How many of you love the Word of the Lord? Oh, we can do better than that. How many of you love the Word of the Lord? I like it. Amen. Amen. All right, I'll tell you the story in just a moment. Let's get started. Um, I'm going to start by being carnal. Uh, That will come as a shock to you because I am not a carnal person. I am a highly, highly super spiritual person. Uh, And uh, many of you have noticed this about me for some time. Uh, But I'm going to start by coming down to where other people live. Other people live. And we're going to talk about the fact that today is uh, what Sunday? Uh, the carnal crowd right here. And it was the chicks. Oh my word. Oh my word. Super Bowl Sunday. Now that's okay. Sports are fine. I mean, as long as you don't make an idol out of them there, it's, it's harmless fun. Um, and it, it is what it is. Uh, Paul evidently liked sports, he often used them as examples, Um, but uh, here we are on Super Bowl Sunday, and Super Bowl Sunday is a pop, a popular thing, it is part of our pop culture. Um, Let me give you some trivia for you trivia nerds out there. Today, over 8 million pounds of guacamole will be consumed. During the three and a half hours of the Super Bowl uh, game, I think I heard someone over here say, A man, that, that she was going to eat a good bit of that herself. Yes, well played. 14,500 tons of chips will be consumed today in that uh, three and a half hours um, event. And just to appreciate how big of a, a deal this is. Now, I know preachers are supposed to act like nothing happens outside the church, you know. Uh, but let's, let's just be honest. This is a big deal in American culture. Um, out of the top Ten most watched televised events in world history. Top ten most watched televised events in world history. Nine of them have been Super Bowls. Yeah. So kind of a big deal. And it is part of American kind of lore uh, to do this and celebrate this and uh, at the end of the football season, all of that. Um, a 30-second commercial during the Super Bowl has ranged from, in Super Bowl number one, way back, you know, right after Moses uh, was coming down off the ark and he kicked a frock shaped like an oval, and he said, oh, football, you know. <laughs> uh, right after that, uh, to buy a 30-second commercial in the first Super Bowl cost about $40,000. Uh, yeah, and then it started going up. And so by 2000, it was $2.2 million for a 30-second commercial in the Super Bowl. And by last year, it had doubled to $4.5 million for a 30-second commercial. And this year, it cost between 5 and $5.5 million to put a 30-second commercial uh, out there. And so I wanted to advertise the church. Uh, who can I pick on? So let's see. I I'm going to pick on Kenny today. I called Kenny up and I said, Kenny, I want to I want to do a, a Super Bowl uh, commercial, 30 seconds for First Church, cost five and a half million dollars. He wrote me a check. It was awesome. So um, you know what? Look for us in the middle of the the, the 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 game today. First Church, love God, love people, and then we all say, Charlotte, you know. <laughs> So this is what's interesting about sports, any sports, but particularly championship games. This is interesting. Um, You don't have to uh, have the volume on if you're watching it on television or you're watching it on the Internet or you're just uh, whatever. You do need the volume on if you're watching it on the radio. (laughs) There's an inside joke there, but moving along. Um, So, you don't have to have the volume on to tell who won the game. You totally don't even have to know to tell who won the game. What's interesting is when the last second is gone and the game is over, you can just look at the body language of the respective players and you know who has won the game. Because the winners are leaping and shouting, and excited and yeah, and they're hugging each other and they're throwing random jugs of Gatorade at the coach. You know, sometimes I just wish after a great service someone would come out with Gatorade and just dump it all over me and say, my God, no one's ever preached like that before. Yeah. Watch yourself. Let me know so I can wear a cheap tie that week. You know? It's just like... Sizzle, sizzle. And so, you know, I want the press to show up and say, so going into the third illustration, I noticed there was a lull in the crowd, and it seemed like the front row of the right side, the young girls were losing their focus. But I saw how you recovered that ball, and you ran for a touchdown! <laughs> and those girls just went, yippee kaye. Mm. See, I'm making this work today. You can watch, and the body language changes. In fact, it's worse than that even. Of course, body language changes when you win. Of course, there's leaping and shouting and the dejected losers. They're all like, oh, man. They're like slumping around like someone stole their lunch money. You know, they're oh, man. Now, what's interesting is all these people who lost have won on any scale that counts. Okay? On any any scale that counts, they've won. Uh, Let's talk about that. Okay, so at every level of their career, they've won. They won in middle school. That's how they got picked for the high school team. They won in high school. That's how they got picked for college. They won in college. That's how they got drafted or free agented or whatever into the NFL. They've won everywhere and always. And then, because they're on a championship team, they've won and won and won and won all year long. They're rock stars. They're awesome. I want to be like them when I grow up. But in this moment, if they don't win everything, their body language changes. They slump over. And then they kind of catch themselves. And they start slapping each other. Oh, it was a great season. Oh, it was a great season. Yeah, On the inside, they're like, ah, ha, ha. On the outside, oh, it was a great season. You know, we, we played hard. We played hard. Um, it, it's So fascinating how what you have experienced, what you believe, will show in every aspect of your body. Isn't that amazing? It will show in how you carry yourself with your posture. It will show in the micro-expressions of your face. It will reveal itself, and you cannot really hide it. It's even worse than that. It is in this way worse than that. Psychologists and people who study human performance, they tell us and they teach their, their, their athletes and their performers to believe they are a winner before they even get to the game. And coaches and the sports psychologists will tell them, when you walk out of this tunnel, I want you to walk out like a winner. When you stand on the sideline, I want you to stand on the sideline like a winner. When you throw the first pass or run the, I want you to do it like a winner because it is shown. This is not the preacher's opinion, although trust me, the preacher has a few opinions this, it has been shown that if people believe their performance goes up, you can change their body language and human performance goes up. Athletes are oftentimes taught before they actually go into a competition to expand themselves, to fill their chests, to lift their head, to, as it were, exude a winning aura before they ever walk onto the place. Place of their competition. If they think like a winner, if they train like a winner, if they act like a winner, if they believe like a winner, they say most of the battle has already been won. So, having said that, I want to tell all of you guys something that is profoundly true. We don't always live this way, but it's profoundly true. Are you ready? Through Jesus Christ, you have already won. Amen. I want you to believe that. Are you hearing me? I want you to believe that. I want you to walk like this. I want you to think like this. I want you to talk like this. I want you to sing like this. Through Jesus Christ, you have already won. You say, I feel like a loser, but in heaven's eyes, you're more than a conqueror. You say, I feel stuck, but in heaven's eyes, uh, they're saying, uh, greater that is he that is within you than he that is in the world. I want you all to know today, through Jesus Christ, you have already overcome. Yeah. Uh, so I want to show you this story in the scripture as a way of, of, of of kind of visualizing or learning or living, if we can, this progress where we start kind of at this one stage. Let's call it uh, stuck, uh, trapped, stuck in the mud, uh, bummed out, loserville. You pick your name. Let's say you're stuck there, and how you realize something needs to happen, something, some kind of a under, something has to give because you are stuck. So I want to tell you a story. Second Kings, I believe it's chapter number seven. And the story is of these lepers. Now a leper is, that's not a super modern word, although most of you know what a leper is. Uh, I have occasionally um, preached and uh, meant to say leper and actually said leopard. And so I'm not teaching or preaching about leopards today. A leopard is a dangerous cat that lives in the wild and preys on primates, therefore is particularly dangerous to humans. So You got that? Moving along. A leper, on the other hand, is an animal, not an animal, psych. A leper is a person who has the condition of leprosy. I know you wouldn't have thought of that yourself. It's deep and wise. Thank you for noticing. Uh, leper is a person who has the condition, the disease of leprosy. And because of progress in public health and modern medicine, it's not as big a problem for us. There are still parts of the world where it's a problem. Uh, but thankfully, we've made progress in this arena. Uh, but it's a particularly cruel and terrible disease. Um, it, it separates people from those they love. You Because it's contagious, they literally Uh, by law, particularly in the time of uh, the Mosaic law, but even now in certain circumstances, they cannot be exposed to others because those others can be made also infected by the same infection that is killing them. And so imagine only ever being able to see the people you love from a remove or from a distance. Imagine hollering, hollering across a prescribed distance saying, I love you, I love you. I love you. I wish I could be a part of your life. I wish I could be included in your ordinary. I miss all the little stuff. And I can't. I'm over here. I am separated from you. This is why in a theological or shall we say symbolic manner, leprosy becomes a type of sin. It is a damage to the in person who is the host, the person who is infected. And it damages them in a unique way where they lose their feeling and so they cannot protect themselves from themselves. And so I don't want to spend too much time on this, but they literally tear themselves apart because they can't feel They're, say, uh, uh, cooking something in a fire, and they burn their hand. They can't feel it. And so now they have this terrible wound that it turns into affection. And it's just terrible. The body is dying from within. And they are isolated from everyone they love. And yet they are unaware of the damage they are doing to themselves. This is the most uh, biblical and uh, harrowing example of sin's destruction in the human heart. And so here you have uh, these lepers, and they aren't just in a bad situation. They are kind of a bad situation nested in a larger bad situation that goes like this. An enemy has come against the children of Israel and has besieged a fortified city. Uh, Siege warfare is as old as uh, fortifications, and rather than an army paying the somewhat high price of climbing over a fortified position while being shot with arrows and hit with rocks and boiling oil poured upon them, they decide to surround that fortified city and starve them out. They're going to starve them. This creates horrible conditions within the city, um, and hunger slowly. Uh, Historically, you can see this in accounts of these kind of sieges. Um, uh, Hunger, prolonged hunger, uh, can cause insanity of sorts. And people turn into beasts. Uh, Literally, they lose humanity. They lose that element whereby we would have empathy one toward another or even care for loved ones. And it's a horrible situation, brings out the worst of people. You have this city that's being besieged by the enemy. And uh, it is terrible, terrible situation. And in the middle of that, you have a group of lepers who are dying. They're dying of hunger in the short term, and they're dying of leprosy in the long term. And here they are. They are in a terrible situation, and they're sitting there together, and one of them asks a question that is a question of no small insight. It's it is, it is quite, it's quite quite insightful. You can't rush past this question because it is rare. Hear me, my friends. It's rare for us sometimes to see the true condition of our life. We tell ourselves stories. We tell ourselves kind of make up narratives to make ourselves feel better about things. We give excuses. It takes a unique kind of courage to look in the mirror and see the truth about your situation. Can y'all give me a nice amen on that? It takes a special kind of courage. And one of them finds within himself this unique insight, this courage to be honest with himself. And he asks this question, hey guys, why are we going to just sit here until we die? Why are we just going to sit here until we die? Okay, so they have this mental framework around themselves. There's nothing to be done. Everybody's suffering. Uh, We're stuck. You get the idea. Nothing to be done. That's the story. What can we do? We're just sick old guys. That's the that's the excuse. We're just sitting here. That's the reality. Uh, and there's nothing to be done about it. And one of them asked this question, why sit we here until we die? Now, they have started from a position of hopelessness. There's nothing we can do. We're just starving here. And they move up one tiny step. It's as though they dig in their fingernails. And they claw their way up one emotional step. One emotional step. They went from hopelessness up to what do we have to lose? This is not a small thing. I have seen many people, their life an absolute mess, who they could find the strength to take action. Somebody say take action. Because they saw they had nothing left to lose. Let me tell you, that kind of a small step can make your prayer more powerful than it's been for a while. That kind of small step can make you more action-oriented than you've been for a while. That kind of small insight can make you decide today is the day I am making a change. What do I have to lose? Why am I going to sit here until I die? Why not go to the enemy's camp and see if something good can't happen? Why not? What's to be risked? I'm dying anyway. Oh, something can happen to somebody who say, you know what, I'm just gonna start believing God. I'm just gonna start believing God. It's not like the situation can get any worse. I'm just gonna start believing God. It's not like I can be any more defeated. I'm gonna start speaking faith. It's not like I can be any more down. I can't be any more depressed. I'm just going to start right now and say I believe the promises of God and I claim the promises of God and I stand upon the promises of God and I've got nothing to lose. I'll be frank with you today and say sometimes it's hard to go from that beaten down condition of continual, redundant, repetitive uh, failure and leap all the way up to I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Honey, you hadn't had joy in your heart in many moons. <laughs> It's been many moons since you had that kind of joy in your heart, but what you have had a lot in your heart is this, I'm always stuck. I'm always failing. I'm always back where I started. It's always three steps forward and 2.987 back. I never get anywhere. This is just a circular meal wheel of despair that I am tied to, like Samson trying to grind out the meal for his enemy. I'm There's nothing to be done. Let me tell you, what you can do is this. I have nothing left to lose. I have nothing left to lose. Uh, Let me take one step, just one step. Now, watch what happens. Oh, man, praise God. Hallelujah. I like this more than y'all, but I didn't get to preach last week. And my wife don't like my preaching, so I couldn't preach to her. You know how that goes. Besides, she just tells me I need to listen to my own preaching and quit, you know, telling her what to do. It's a terrible reality. There's a word for it. It's called marriage. And it's, it can be difficult. Mm. They have succeeded in moving themselves from it's hopeless to where? I have nothing left to lose. They've taken us tiny steps, So, we're going to hop down here like we're young. They were right here on hopelessness. Hey, darlings. We're right here on hopelessness. Over here is victory on the boys' side because they got the joy, joy, joy down in their heart. Over here, not like the discouraged girls. Thank you very much. Over here is victory. Over here is, oh, my God, I'm having a bad hair day. <laughs> okay, you guys all have beautiful hair. No problem with your hair. Don't be trying to take over the service. I had the microphone. Thank you very much. So here we are. Hopelessness. Bad hair day. These guys didn't jump all the way over there. No, right? All they did was, I have nothing left to lose. Right. I'm going down there and I'm going to ask for this food and this sucker's want to kill me. <laughs> Big whoop. <laughs> Not like that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> there is a great... Power in just this little step. Just this little step. Why? Because it gets you out of your emotional rut and forces you to take action. It forces you to take action. You're stuck. Not stuck. Stuck. You get, this is deep. You ready for this? Stuck. Not stuck. Why sit we here till we die? Let's do something already. But what was the reality? They thought this was the reality and decided to take action. And then they thought this was the reality. Neither of these things were the reality. This is the reality. The night before, God had sent his angels among the hosts of the enemy's army. And he had caused confusion among them. And one of the risks of warfare is in the fog of war. Units can actually begin to attack each other. And because they're in the grind of the moment and the fear and the testosterone and the terror, they don't stop to see that they're really attacking somebody on their side. Called In the U.S. Army, I believe it's called blue on blue, where people who they don't want to hurt each other, but they end up hurting each other through confusion. Sounds like church, don't it? Don't have time for that. Blue on blue, they're, they're hurting themselves. So what happens is there's confusion in the enemy camp and in the terror and in the fear. They come running from their tents with their swords and they begin to attack each other. And they destroy themselves. The rea- the reality is, you, you guys aren't ready for what I'm about to lay on you. You're just not ready, I can tell. You haven't arrived to that level of spiritual high placement like I have. You're not ready for this. I'm gonna give it to you anyway. The reality is, you've already won. The reality is you have already won. Somebody say yes. Yes. You have already won. Now, what do you think is the reality? There is no hope. But you decide, I'm going to make it anyway and take action. And you go to here. You weren't right there. You aren't right here. But at least you're taking action. The truth is God's on your side. You've already won. And so here come the lepers wandering out of the village, coming out of the gates of the city. And they go out and they go to the enemy camp. And you know what they find? They find food to feed an army. You get it? (laughs) Food to feed an army. They find wealth. They find weapons. They find finery. Find finery. If you say that three times, you'll feel the touch of the spirit upon you. They find finery. And here they are. They were rich, but they didn't know it. They were full, but they didn't know it. They had groceries, but they didn't know it. They thought it was hopeless, but they had already won. This is such a powerful truth for all of us trying to serve God in a day of difficulty and trouble. I want you to know if the enemy can get you to give up, you will have believed a lie. Because the truth is, you've already won. How can I say How can I say you've already won? Well, the scripture tells us, first of all, you couldn't be alone if you tried. He said he would never leave you nor forsake you, but he will be with you always, even until the end of the age. In God's eyes, you're victorious. You may feel down and out, but in God's eyes, you're an overcomer. In God's eyes, you've already won the victory. In God's eyes, I my goal is to get you from stuck to let's just give it a shot because if you can just give it a shot you're going to find out that the promises of God are sure and the promises of God are yay and amen the promises of God are real his freedom is real his healing is real his confidence is real greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world Oh, praise God, somebody. You've already won. You've already won. You ought to walk like it. You've already won. You ought to smile like it. You've already won. You ought to worship like it. You've already won. You ought to praise like it. You've already won. All right. All right. Sorry for picking on you, darlings. I'll get you guys next time. Uh read a book by a, uh, I sped read a book, I should say, <laughs> by a uh, medical doctor, name of uh, Dr. S- uh, S- Siegelman, and he he wrote a book entitled, Learned Optimism. Learned Optimism. And his point, basically, in the book, and I'm going to give you three big takeaways from the book. Um, we'll call this Nate Notes, you know, with apologies to Cliff Notes. this is. And if you, if you want to read the book, it'll be better. But if you don't take time to read it, just let me read for you. And so here he had these points that he was making. The power of optimism is so real, and it is so measurable. It's measurable in your health. Can I have an amen? It's measurable in things like your cardiovascular health. It's measurable in your psychological health. It's measurable in your career success. Isn't that astonishing? It's measurable in your respective um, career or business. It's measurable in your relationships. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Whether, it, excuse me, whether it's parenting, whether it is a spouse, whatever, it is literally measurable. And so his point is this. It's so powerful. You ought to strive for it even if it's not your natural inclination. Right. Even if your natural inclination is to be an Eeyore <laughs> and say, well, it's probably going to rain today. Yeah, it rained. So what? Okay. Your natural inclination is to be Eeyore. You would benefit from trying to develop a learned optimism. He points out three, and these are the big three takeaways that I, I want to I give to you really quickly from this book. Uh, three differences between how an optimistic person, and it can be a learned optimism, how an optimistic person sees the world and how a pessimistic person sees the world. The first one is the optimist sees setbacks, troubles, and the like as temporary realities. The pessimist sees those same setbacks and troubles as permanent realities. They see them quite differently. So, I used this example earlier. I'll do it again. Uh, You're walking down a trail in the jungle, shall we say, and a giant tree falls right in front of you and covers the, the path that you were walking. And the optimist says, oh, a tree fell. We have to find a way over it, under it, or through it. The, optim- the, the pessimist says, bad stuff always happens to me. Do you see the difference? One of them sees it, truthfully, as it is, a temporary setback. The other sees it as a personal reality or continuing state of being. The tree falls in the forest. Someone actually heard it because there was people there joke for the nerds. And uh, the pessimist says, or the optimist says, oh, a treason or we have to find a way around it, over it, through it. The pessimist says, bad stuff always happens to me. You're stuck, you're stuck, you're stuck, you're stuck. I want to get you out of that rut. Number two, the optimist sees difficulties as a specific thing that needs to be done, overcome, endured, The pessimist sees them as a pervasive reality... That cannot really ever be overcome, cannot ever be um, worked through or around. And so, the same thing, the tree falls. Optimus says, oh, the tree, we've got to figure it out. The pessimist says, man, if we do figure it out, there'll be another one on the other side. The The third difference is the optimist sees trouble, struggle, and the like as external things external to themselves. These external things do not speak to their individual value or the like. They are external to them. Whereas the pessimist internalizes all of their trouble. And they are having a tough time because they have never gotten a break in their life. They've never won a prize. No one ever brought brought them a popsicle home from. They're taking trouble that is specific and external, and they're interpreting it as an internal state of being. They are stuck. They are stuck. They are stuck. They're in a bad situation. They are sad. They are sickly, and they deal with this continual revolving weather that is in their life. And it just rains and rains and rains and rains. Hear me. And this is something I believe very profoundly. I am a living, personally, I feel like I'm a living witness of this. You cannot defeat emotion with more emotion. You have to think about that. That's okay. I'm just glad we have smart people in our church. Okay, God bless you. You cannot defeat emotion with more emotion, or it feels like you are defrauding yourself because you're trying to manipulate your emotion with more emotion. Here's an experiment. The next time you're bummed out, say, hey guys, I'm going to pretend to be happy. You know how you defeat emotion? With action. Action defeats emotion. So, what's the emotion in your life that is negative, that is oppressing you, that is holding you down? Take action. You say, I don't know where to start. Start with an altar. It's not that complicated. Start with a prayer closet. Start with something. But just get off this gerbil's wheel of emotional futility and say, why sit we here until we die? I'm going to walk like I have God on my side. I'm going to walk like God said he loves me. I'm going to walk like God said not to worry about tomorrow clothes, the flowers of the field and everything's going to be okay with me. I'm going to walk like the word of God tells me uh, that whether young or old, they've not seen the righteous forsaken nor the seed of the righteous begging bread. I'm going to walk like I'm going to walk like God is on my side. Oh, hallelujah somebody. Praise God somebody. Victory in Jesus somebody. Did you hear what I said? Victory in Jesus somebody. God is on your side and whether you act like it, whether you celebrate it, whether you sing about it, whether you preach about it, you have already won. That's why Paul can say, oh, I don't have time to preach all this stuff. That's why Paul can say, (laughs) nothing can separate me from the love of God. How can you say that? That is nonsensical, Paul. Don't you understand cause and effect? How can you speak to cause and effect when there has not yet been a cause? How can you know the effect? This is how I know. Through Jesus Christ. I've already won. That's why Paul can say, Oh my Lord, there's so much here to preach. I just don't have time. See, if y'all were like long-termers, you'd be saying, Give me another hour. Give me another hour. But no one's shouting that out. I'm so disappointed. That's why Paul can say, Nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's why Paul can say, Nothing can remove... Come on, sister. That's all right. Thank God for some worship in the house. That's why Paul can say, Nothing can remove me from my Father's hand. Nothing. Somebody say, nothing. How in the world, let's all stand. How in the world can that ever make sense? You don't know what tomorrow holds. How can that make sense? I'll tell you how it makes sense. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're living your life upon the foundation that was laid by none other than the sacrificial Lamb of God, if you are living, standing, and breathing testimony to God's power, God's grace, God's mercy, if you are standing not in your strength, but in the strength of the one who made you. If you are walking not in your ability but in the ability of the one who ordained you if you're doing that. The truth is the heathen can rage. The wind can roar. The storm can pound. But you've already won. Jesus people to start walking around like they've already won. It's time for Jesus people to start praising as if they've already won. It's time for you to look at the circumstances in your life and say, yeah, I admit it looks bad by the eye of the flesh, but through the promise of God, I claim a victory that I don't deserve. intervention that I don't deserve because through Christ Now let's let's come down here to the front. We're gonna take a few moments together. We've already had great church here. We had a great 9 a.m. service. We baptized one of our girls. It was just a great, beautiful service. This is a great time together. But right now, I want to make an appeal to the person who feels like you've been stuck too long. I want to make an appeal to the person who feels like you've been stuck in the rut too long. I want to tell you, there is victory for you. I refuse to believe the lies of the enemy so <laughs> make us think we are defeated. You are not defeated. i want to say it again. You are not defeated. You are victorious. You are victorious. You are not defeated. You may feel stuck. You may feel trapped. That's okay. You'll overcome feeling with action. You're going to take action in your life. You're going to say, I have nothing to lose. I already know I have problems. What's the surprise there? I already know I have weaknesses. What's the surprise there? I have nothing left to lose. So I'm throwing open my heart and I'm saying, here I am, Christ Jesus. I want to walk in your victory. Would you lift your hands all across the house right now? Lift your voice. Lord God, we're calling upon you in this house. We're praying for every believer. We're praying for every individual. Lord God, we're praying for the person who feels like they've been stuck too long. They've wrestled with discouragement. do what those lepers in the story second kings did they did not know that they had already been victorious all they knew is it was time to make a change i'll be honest with you if you're hurting sometimes the preacher and his appeal to faith can sound as though that's so far away from where you're living that you're really glad somebody's getting blessed but in the meantime you're just trying to survive (laughs) how many of you have ever just come to church trying to survive (laughs) and what the preacher's talking about it's like this place whoa you know some god bless you if you get there in the meantime i'm just trying to survive i'm just stuck here Here's what I want you to see. You're not stuck as long as you can take action that's built on faith. You're not stuck as long as you can take action that is founded and established upon faith. So my question for you today is not just to feel good and clap our hands and say, hallelujah, all that's good. I love it. My question for you is what in your life are you going to take action upon that is founded upon the word of God, founded upon faith and the promises of God? It is time for someone to get up from where they've been stuck and say, I am going to take action. That action is probably not complicated. You probably know what you ought to be doing. Mm. You're probably stuck in this emotional morass of a helplessness where you feel like it's always going to be this way. You're always going to flop back. No, hear me. Take care action. Base it upon faith in the promise of God. Pick something and say, I am taking action. It might be something so simple as every time I feel this discouragement come upon me, I'm going to fight back with praise. If that's all you did, something that simple, something that, you know, first year, (laughs) that's like a freshman thing to do. (laughs) Something that simple. I'm telling you, you might just discover that you've already won. You thought you were making one step and you learned God had done the whole work for you while you were making one step. I'm here today to encourage somebody to take one step. One step. One step. Take one step. Let me pray over you right now. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual here. Oh God. You know those of us who are stuck somehow. We're somehow held in this trap of our a prison of our own making as it as it were. We're sometimes held and somehow held in bad habits. We're somehow held in this doubt, somehow held in this fear where we have negative faith. We have doubt. We don't just expect for the good. We look for the bad. Lord God, I'm praying that we would see the desperate need on our part to take action. settle for a doubt-based Christianity, not to settle for a doubt-based walk with God, but instead to get up out of that place and say, I have nothing left to lose. I have nothing left to lose. I am going to stand upon the promises of God, and I'm going to reach for the victory that is in the word of God for everyone who will believe in Jesus' name. you, you think you need to answer this question. Where, what are you ready for? What's one step for you? If you've been coming, if you're fairly new and you know, it's been a while since you, you've repented or maybe you haven't really had that in your life. I'm telling you that's one step. Take it in faith and see what happens. See what happens. If you haven't, if you've repented of your sins, but you haven't say been baptized in water, letting that is testimony. That is testimony and it is also a symbol generation through the work of Christ at Calvary. If you haven't been baptized, I want you to you think about it. I, I I don't want you to just to do it. You know, on a, I want you to think about it. I want you to do it intentionally. I want you to say, I'm ready to be baptized. That's the next step for me. If you don't feel like you're living a spirit filled life, hear me. That's the next step for you. You need the. Con- that comes with the sign of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will change your life. You say, how do you know? Well, it changed the disciples' life. And honey, if they needed change and you and I need change in three or four times. You see what I'm saying? What's the next step for you? If you're fighting this kind of snare of depression, despair, don't accept it. Don't accept it. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Take One step. One step. Name. I believe there's gonna come good things out of this service here today. I believe someone's gonna walk out of here with a plan. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen. If you're if you're here today and you have specific needs in your life. And you would like to partner with somebody. Don't just slip out. And, uh, my, uh, some of my leaders will be down front here after the service. Feel free to go to one of them. Let Accept leadership in your life. We can't do that for you. Accept a prayer partner in your life. Accept someone who will check on you. Someone who will join with you. Take, that, that's, that's accountability. That is scriptural. That is confession. One to another. Let that happen. Don't just everything at a remove take that step let the church help you let the church love you if you're here you have questions about the church you, you want to get to know the church better maybe you want to get to know me better I have a class after the service next door we call it first steps it's a great way to get to know it's, it's casual we just talk for a while um, uh, I'll be over there uh, to, uh, after this service uh, I'd love it I'd love to get to know you. I believe God has great things for you. How can I say that? Because through Christ, you're a winner. So for all of you men, all of you men who end up mm -mm, watching the Super Bowl, you carnal bums, you know who you are. Know who you are. Whoever wins, I don't care who wins. I hope it's the Panthers. whoever whoever wins I want you to notice the moment the time is out I want you to watch that team and when I see you next Sunday Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com, or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.